All right, thank you for being here this morning. As always, you know, as we teach the Word of God, and especially during this particular mini-series within the Gospel of Matthew, I have a, a, a strong sense that this is so critically significant to our ability to fulfill God's purpose for saving us as a church, but especially as husbands and wives. And the real problem and difficulty I'm having in doing all of this is that there is such a massive amount of information and material, if you would, that I would like to present. We're not going to make this a marriage course. Maybe one day we can go into other details and do something like this at another time. And so we're, we're skimming the surface, as you will see. We're just skimming the surface. There's a lot underneath the surface. It's like an iceberg, which is giving you the top that's showing, and there's all the rest underneath. But at least to begin to give us an understanding, a motivation, so we can be better encouraged and empowered to be the men and women of God that he has called us to be. But as you, if you miss one of the classes, please either go online, I don't know whether somebody said YouTube or CDs or however it's done, and please keep up. Please keep up with this so we'll be able to have a greater collective understanding of God's word in these areas. So let's join our hearts as we pray. Father, thank you so much. Oh. Father, as we look through your word, as we have revealed to us not only that you exist, that's obvious. We look at the sky. We look at nature. We know you exist. But, Father, as you reveal to us the wonders, the majesty, the incredible glory of who you are in yourself, Father, there's no other revelation that even begins to become close to this. There are several religious forms, Father, and we know them practices that imitate, but so poorly imitate as not even to be considered. Father, thank you not only for saving us, but saving us for the purpose of revealing to us your being who you are in yourself, how you are in yourself. And then not only revealing to us yourself in this way, but then bringing us into this holy, relational, divine community of love. Father, so that we are co-participants together in this incredible community of love. Father, co-participating as we are co participating as a community within the church and more specifically in the marriages. What a God you are. Father, continue to instruct us. Continue to show us your marvelousness. Father, continue to amaze us with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we have already seen, 
the three divine persons of the one being of God, and I will often use that terminology because I think that encapsulates the understanding of the Trinity, of God's triunity. The three divine persons of the one being of God, we've seen this, relate to one another through their relational roles of love. Now, that's the basis. That's the basis of a marriage and the purpose of a marriage. The three distinct, divine, eternal, co-equal, co-eternal persons within the one being of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are distinguished as they relate to one another in a fellowship through distinctive roles of love. That encapsulates, I believe, more than any other way, what the Christian marriage is to be. A fellowship of two co-equal yet distinctive persons who have been brought into union with one another by the Spirit through marriage. So that in this fellowship, this relationship of the husband and his wife, in this community, these two are to relate to one another through distinctive roles expressed in love. And as they do that, and to the extent they do that, then God's triune community is being accurately and compellingly, consistently displayed to all the world that the world may know who our God, this Yahweh of the Old Testament and of the New Testament, who he really is. And so even though these roles are distinctive, now remember, as we talk about this, let's make sure we're not keeping, and I'll do the best hopefully that I can do listening to the Holy Spirit, to make sure that as we talk about this, God has given us this revelation of himself so that this revelation and this truth of who he is can be displayed in and among us and through us to the world that they may know who God really is. And so when we talk about the roles and the distinctions and the equality, etc., remember, these things pertain to us generally as members of the body of Christ, but specifically to the husband and to the wife. And so even though these roles are distinctive, so for instance, even though the role of a husband is a distinct role and the role of a wife is a distinct role, even though these roles are distinctive, these roles are intertwined and interconnected and interrelated as each person is involved in the roles of the others. Doesn't that define what a marriage is? Amen? A marriage is not a partnership of 50-50. That is not what a marriage is. It is the intermeshing of two lives in such a way as they are considered to be one, Genesis 2.24. 
And these two lives relate to one another, walk with one another, live together, commune, communicate, etc. Through distinctive roles of love. And in this way, God's triunity is on display to all the world. And so you see, remember that we're given a glimpse of what this is and how this unique love functions among the three divine persons as we hear this statement in 1 John 4, 8. Remember at the end of it, the apostle says at the end of this verse, what? God is love. God is love. That statement in and of itself being true necessitates a community. It necessitates a plurality. Do you understand what I mean? You see, when those of other religions, such as Islam, say that Allah is a God of love, and he is a singularity, before he creates, whom is he loving? Because in order for love to function correctly, it has to be having an object to be loved. And then the object that is loved receives that love and then reciprocates in love so that the true meaning of love is a giving and a receiving and a returning And if there's only one person, that person cannot experience love as defined biblically. And so God is love necessitates a community. It necessitates at least two. At least two. In whom and between whom this love functions. And so to say that God is love is to describe the very character of the community of God. This is the very character of the community of God. And so if God is love, there must be a plurality of persons involved. One to initiate love, the other to receive it, and to respond back in love to the one who initiates the love. So once again, God is love means that each person of the Godhead relates to the others in a self-giving, selfless love so that the three persons commune and communicate as one in a perfect unity, in perfect joy, in perfect peace within the divine community. Amen? That's what somewhat of what is meant when the Apostle John says, for God is love, in 1 John 4, 8. And so this, this love, this love, not any love, this particular, peculiar, unique, one-of-a-kind, Kadesh, holy love of God that exists only within the Godhead, that is absolutely alien to any other kind of so-called love. This particular love 
this love of God, this kind of love of God, is that love or that relational love that God desires to be imaged in the marriage and in the church. Okay? So what is God imaging in our marriages in the church? He is imaging the specific, unique kind of love that exists among the three persons of the Trinity. That's the love that he has bestowed upon us in the Beloved. Remember in Ephesians 1.6. That's the love that he has given to us by the Spirit. And that's the love with which the husband and the wife, and in which and through which the husband and the wife are to relate. And we'll have to talk about that kind of love in a little more detail in the next week or two. And so this is the purpose that is set forth in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. You see, the context of what God has done is given in Genesis 1 and 2. The theology of how that is to look and how it is to work out and how it is to function within the marriage is given in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. And so what we must do being upon this morning is to marry Genesis 1 and 2 with Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. So we have a better picture. There are other scriptures, of course, concerning the relationship between the husband and the wife, specifically 1 Peter. Here it is. Here it is, old man. 3, 1 through 6, 1 through 7. But specifically Ephesians, more to the detail that we'll be speaking about. And so the purpose that is set forth in this Ephesian passage what is the passage? Ephesians 5, 22-33. In this particular passage, the purpose that is set forth through the way the husband loves the wife and the way she responds to his love. So how do we know how that, what is to happen between the husband and wife? Paul tells us, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is the way the husband and the wife are to relate in any and every circumstance of life. You see, this is the relational love. This Love of God, this peculiar God kind of love. And I always want to say it that way because I want to make sure we differentiate and separate our natural love that we have as human beings from God's kind of love. Ours is a very, very, very pale reflection of his love. But it is not his love until his love is established in us by the Holy Spirit. And so this is the relational love that reflects the love of Christ for his bride and the love of his bride for has Christ, the love that his bride has for Christ. The wife's respectful submission to her husband's leadership represents the church's respectful submission to Christ's leadership. Look at Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then look at verse 33 in that particular passage. We're skipping over. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Some verses say, and the wife must respect her husband. Why? Because you see, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. The wife's loving, respectful submission to 
to her husband's leadership. Why is it important? What is it showing? Well, if you open to Ephesians chapter 5, you will see two verses there that give us the reason and the motivation and the context for this. So if you look at chapter 5 of Ephesians verses 31 and 32, the apostle has just delineated the wife's responsibility, her role within the marriage. And then in verse 25 to 30, he gives you the husband's role within the marriage. Do you see where I am? Then what does verse 31 say? Somebody help me to know what verse 31 says. I don't know what it says, so somebody help me to know. Therefore what? Therefore what? In view of the wife's submission and the husband's love. You see it? Therefore. Collecting 22 to 30. Therefore what? What did you say, Barry? Therefore, the husband shall leave the family, the mom and them, and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, where, do, where have I heard that before? I heard it where? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And so you see what Paul is doing. He's laying the foundation of the relationship and the roles and the means through which these roles are carried out in love upon the very basis of God's purpose for marriage. And then what does verse 33 say? At least the second part of verse 33. And the wife must see to it or let the wife what? Respect a husband. Now, what's so important about this? As the wife lovingly and respectfully submits to her husband's leadership, and I'm getting ahead of myself in this, I know. She is displaying to the world how the church is to respond to Christ. Now, I think all of us would say that as members of the body of Christ... We are to respond to Jesus' love for us by submitting to him. Anybody have a problem with that? Everybody would agree to that, correct? Now, putting ourselves as underneath his leadership, but also part of that submission, and Paul brings this out because it may not be evident to everyone, although it should be, is respect, is respect. You see, because submission without respect is not biblical loving submission. Amen? Submission without respect is not biblical loving submission. And that kind of submission is not reflective of the way the church is to respond to Christ. And so the heart and the reason why the wife is to respect her husband is because the church responds to Jesus' loving leadership respectfully, respects him, respects who he is, respects what he has done, respects all that he desires, and that respect causes a submission. Now, I I tell young couples when they come to me for premarital counseling, and the, husband, the man sitting there and the lady sitting there, they're engaged. 
and I look at the guy and I say, now, believe it or not, you're going to learn there's something more important in life than sex. And he's looking at me like, you old, you old, you old. It's too bad, old man. This is the way you think. It's just too bad. And I tell them, the husband's... I'm not going to raise my voice. The husband's greatest need... Ladies, write it down. The husband's singular greatest need. Your husband's singular greatest need. Your husband's singular greatest need is that you respect him. Lack of respect dishonors the God who has saved us. It is a very deep issue. Why? Because I may not go back to my notes, I suppose. It's okay. Because what we see in the relationship between Christ and the church, by the way, let's go back to Barry. Barry told us the two shall become one flesh. Then what does verse 32 say? But I am speaking, this mystery is what? Profound or deep. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Remember those two verses, 31 and 32 in that passage, Christ and the church. Everything about the marriage is to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. Christ's leadership reflected in the husband's leadership. The church's response, respectful response and submission to the church's response uh, and submission to Christ. But even that relationship of Christ and the church is given to us as a visible relationship, a visible picture of the deepest and most profound relationship of all. It is given to us to picture specifically the relationship of the Father to the Son within the context of the Holy Spirit. And so the relationship of Jesus' leadership of us shows the Father's leadership. Remember, we went through all of that. I don't want to have to go through that again. And the relationship of the church to Christ shows Christ's relationship to the Father's leadership. And so why is respect on the part of a woman to her wife so significant? Because you see, the Father, as the leader of the Trinitarian team, if you would, of the community, is to be respected as the leader. And yet, the three members of the Trinity are equal. Remember that? They're equal. Respect doesn't denigrate someone or elevate someone else. It is a recognition of a role. And so, to the extent that the wife respects the husband, she is reflective of not only the church's respect for Christ, but much more deeply and significantly, she is reflecting the Son's respect for the Father. Now, I know there are a lot of questions about this. But the deep fact is this. Ladies, the way you consider, think about, respond to, walk with your attitude about your husband... should be the same 
as the sons for the Father. Now, I understand we're fallible people and we are frail and weak, but that in no way unobligates us to be continually pursuing God's way and the development of this love of Christ in us. What about the husband, you say? Yeah, what about the man? What about the man? By the way, I want to get through this today. I genuinely do. Have you noticed in society how the respect of women for men is being thrown under the bus? Have you noticed that? And what's happening is that filth, that filth is permeating the church. And today in the church, far too many wives simply do not respect their husbands because they make decisions based on what the husband's doing or what he's not doing or how he's doing it or what he should have done, rather than making a decision, I will respect my husband because he represents to me Christ's respect for God. Can you say amen? You see, we are called to rejoice in Christ no matter what the circumstance. And part of that rejoicing is respectful. Certainly the husbands are to respect their wives, but differently. But the burden on the wife is respectful submission. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then in verse 33, let each one of you, the husbands, love his wife. Well, you see that there it is. I respect him to the extent that he loves me. Nope, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says submit to him, respect him. But at the same time, you not only ladies have a role to play, an obligation in Christ, but also your husband. Also your husband. Because you see, love is a reciprocity activity. And so the husband is to love your wives. What kind of love? With God's kind of love. What kind of love am I to love my wife or you to love your wives? Are we to love one another in the church, but specifically in marriages? Where's the definition? What kind of love? Husbands, love your wives just as. You see it as? Do you see it in your Bible? Just as. What does that mean? In the same way. To the same extent. With the same motive. In the same way. To the same extent. With the same motive. In the same way, to the same extent, with the same motive of Christ. Of Christ. Why? Because you see, this kind of love is imaging or reflective of the Father's love over the Son as we see displayed in the incarnation. And remember, we went through the Father's love and leadership of the Son and the Son's submission and joy 
in respectful submission to the Father. Do you remember that? If you weren't here, get the CDs. That's why I spent so much time in those areas, and really we didn't spend much time at all. But at least in relation to this little series, we spent some time. There was a reason for that. And so I, as a husband, am given the responsibility and the joy of relating to this woman that God has given to me in a way that the father relates to the son. (gasps) And brothers, that should humble us to the floor. Because I think of the two duties, if you would, and I don't like to do this, but I'm going to, but I don't like to do it, so don't correct me and don't rebuke me. I don't like to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't like to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Don't rebuke me. I believe the husband has a much greater profundity of duty than the wife. I know what you think. Uh, No, I know. I know what you, that's just how I, you know, there's something about it because too many wives think, Oh, yeah, the husband, yeah. No, because it's the husband's responsibility within that community to engender in that community and create in that community an atmosphere which allows his wife to respect him without any encumbrance. I didn't say gives her a reason for it, I said creates an atmosphere within the marriage so that the wife will respect him and submit to him without any encumbrance. Do you hear that, men? Oh, there's so much to say here. We need to do this at another time. The depth of what this is. When we looked at prophet, priest, and king a while back, oh, Just leave it alone, Davidson. You don't have time. You see, we see this relationship coming in Genesis. When God creates man, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then God gives him, in verse 28, how God intends to do that. He wants to fill the earth with his own image. And so in Genesis 1, and 2, 15, God gives Adam, he gives to the man. This is before the woman is created. He gives to the head, the responsibility, the leadership rests upon the shoulders of the man and not the woman. Amen. Resting upon the shoulders of the woman is to walk with her man as his helper in such a way that she creates an atmosphere that doesn't encumber the husband's ability to lead in love. Amen? It works both ways. And so we need the love of God in our lives and the husband and the wife. So we are not encumbering one another's roles, but in fact are embracing and accentuating and encouraging and helping to develop in each one of us the role that God has given to us. So that at the end of the day, that great day, at that day, the husband can stand before God and say... God say this, you have developed as a great 
loving husband over your wife. And one of the primary reasons, maybe not the primary, but one of the very top reasons is that your wife helped you. Wives, in doing this, you are building up your husband's leadership in the same way that Christ is building up and manifesting the glory and the greatness of his heavenly father's leadership. Amen? Isn't this what we want? And on that great day, the wife will stand before the Lord and hopefully hear, you are the spotless wife. You see spotless without any wrinkle and so on, blemish. Did you see that in the verses? You are the spotless without any blemish wife. Why? As, you, as your respectful submission allowed the husband to lead you and you received that leadership and God developed you into this radiant, beautiful wife. And so accentuating the beauty and the radiance and the glory of the respectful submission of the Son of God to his Father's leadership on that day. And so there is a place even in Christ where a believing husband cannot and will not develop apart from his wife. Hmm. There is a place that a believing wife walking with a believing husband or even with an unbeliever cannot develop to the place that God desires without her husband. Because you see, the two being one, you can't have part of this one not functioning and the other part of this one functioning well. Amen? Do you see this? Why do you think the devil is so attacking marriages today? It is the quintessential revelation of the very being of God himself. This is why marriage is so difficult. I believe the greatest battles that occur on earth internally and relationally are within the marriages. Why? Because this is the place more than any other place where God's glory is to be seen and demonstrated to all the world. There's no other place, no other relationship where the uniqueness of God's love within the context of these roles is manifested this way. Just no other place. And so Adam is given three roles. And I'm not going to go through these mandates. I want to, but I'm not going to. But I do want to accentuate one mandate, Genesis 2.15. Genesis 2.15, the Bible, the God simply says to the man, work and keep the garden. We went through this a few years ago. All of you should know what I'm going to say. Work and keep the garden. You see, God has put them in the garden of his presence. And God is going to give Adam the responsibility of glorifying God through imaging him within the context of his presence in this garden. And so he's going to say, work and keep the garden. The word work, if you were to turn not now to Numbers chapter 3, 7 and 8, 
God is describing the function of the Levites in relation to the tabernacle. And he tells the Levites, guard the tabernacle from any pollution. Nothing unclean, impure, nothing contrary to God, nothing of worldliness, nothing of sin. You must guard the tabernacle. Guard it. Protect it. Oversee it. Watch it. That's the word that Adam is given in. It says work. The same word. Shema. Same word. He also says keep. What does that mean? Cultivate. Engender. Create an atmosphere in which God is honored and worshipped. That's the word that God gives in chapter 3, verse 8, when he says to minister, abad at the tabernacle. You guard it and you go in and you create an atmosphere in this garden to celebrate God. Make sure that God is being worshipped. So this is a husband's responsibility in his family. And the wife is called to come alongside of him and walk with him in a way as it, he, she is his helper. To walk with him in concert. To be his helper and not the hinderer. And together they fulfill this purpose of God. Together. The husband cannot do it without the wife. The wife cannot do it without the husband. And so together, God's garden is cultivated. What does this mean? That the husband is given the role of leading and guarding his wife through his primary, through his own purity and leading her in whatever way, spiritually and naturally, etc., to lead her and to guard her, to instruct her, to encourage her, to warn her, to adjust her, to do all of those things. And the wife is given to receive this respectfully and then to share with her husband any revelation that she may have concerning the context of their marriage to share that with her as she has received it from the Holy Spirit to share it with her. Now, there's so much to say about that, that it's mind boggling, but there it is. And what about these three roles? The three roles, remember? To fill the earth. The role to subdue and rule. You see that in Genesis 1.28, remember? Multiply, fill the earth, subdue and rule. You'll see those in there. And then what about the role of, of, uh, of submitting and keeping and guarding? What about that? In these three roles, you see the three roles of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In each of these roles, one of the persons of the Trinity is more specifically accentuated than the others. But in all three, each are involved. Remember, the Father sends the Son, but the Son agrees to that to be sent. And the Holy Spirit participates in that sending by conceiving the son into the humanity of Jesus and leading him all his life. Remember that. And so the son is involved in becoming birthed into the humanity of Jesus. But the father is involved in that. 
because of his will, and the Spirit does it. And the Spirit is involved with leading Christ, leading him all the way to the cross. And then, remember, birthing the church. But the Father's also involved in that because this is the Father's will, having been purchased by the Son. And so there's no such thing, no such thing in God as a unilateral, by myself, me alone kind of activity. This is what's so wrong about when believers say, just Jesus and me and I don't need anybody else. It is a falsehood. It is a lie. You need, I need desperately others in Christ. Why? Because God has ordained that we are a community to be reflective of his community. You see, this is the way God is to be glorified in our marriages. I know I went off my notes this morning. Hopefully that was helpful to you. I don't know whether I left out anything of importance, and I'll look through my notes this week and say, oh, why didn't I say that? And I'll just have to repeat myself next week. You'll forgive the repetition. See you next Sunday.